I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Heidi Shea and Vice President and Research Director Daniel Hong to discuss the business use of vaccine passports. Welcome both. It's great to be here. Likewise. So I'm going to lob a softball towards you guys. What is a vaccine passport? And perhaps we can get into how it's being used. Well, a, a vaccine passport, it's think of it as a as a digital document. It is a thing that's going to provide evidence that somebody has you know, been vaccinated. It tells you about their immunization status. And you can use it to do things like travel, uh, maybe attend some type of sporting event or even enter a workplace, which sounds great. But in practice, it, it really raises concerns about issues like equity, you know, what populations are actually able to get vaccinated and obtain this, this vaccine passport. So Heidi, who, who actually issues the vaccine passports? Where do, where do you get them from or who maintains them? There's, there's several different ones available right now and some that are still in development. Some of them are, they're global. So these are built through different types of partnerships between organizations like the, the AOK Pass. So this was a partnership between the International Chamber of Commerce, International SOS, and an organization called SGS. And then there's other ones that are also global that are being tested out right now, like Common Pass. But then some of these, they're, they're also country specific. So the U.S. has several of these that are developed by different uh, organizations like, so there's one called WellTrace that GE Digital came out with and a couple others. The U.K. also has a version of this as well called a, a V-Health passport. Um, and then you know, Denmark is another country as well that's also developed their own. So it feels like, you know, this moment in time, many firms are releasing their sort of bringing workforce back into an office. Is this vaccine passport a, a part of bringing your workforce back into a, a physical location? Is that part of the solution? Is it going to be mandated? Like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, but what what is the role is there a role for for the vaccine passport in in that kind of thinking and strategy for firms bringing their employees back into a workplace there there may be a role for this vaccine passport but i think before we even get to addressing that type of question it's we have to ask like is it even legal to mandate that your employees get this vaccine in the first place? So backtracking a bit on there, I'm I'm not a lawyer, so this is not legal advice, but we are an analyst firm, so we've got research. And the, the answer here is it, it really depends. I mean, we'll dive more into some details of what that actually depends on, but the key takeaway is just because something is legal for an employer to do, it, it doesn't mean that you should do it because you can still overstep your bounds. It can still carry a lot of risk for the enterprise to do so. So there are trade-offs to consider here. What are you seeing in terms of organizations and companies? Are they are they requiring them or is there kind of a standard approach set yet or is everybody just still asking the question and kind of flailing a bit? We see a bit of a, 
both companies that are strongly recommending it for their employees and others that are taking more of a wait and see approach. I think it's very rare to see those who are saying straight up, oh, you have to go and, and get this thing because whether it's legal to do this, uh, to mandate the vaccination depends a lot on location, on jurisdiction. And we've noticed in looking across different US states, different countries, you know, even if it is currently legal, this is a status that, that might change. So in the US, for example, the US's Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they updated some guidance back in December of 2020 to try to you know, clarify what employers can, can mandate here in terms of vaccines as a con condition of working uh, on site. And okay, so at that level, it says this should be appropriate, but then now you have at least nine different US states, including New York, Washington that have proposed uh, anti-discrimination as well as other kinds of laws that would uh, go against that and erode an employer's ability to actually go forward and, and mandate a vaccine. Are there other risks that an employer should be considering too? I mean, you just sort of hinted at a, at a couple of things that are happening at the state level, but are, you know, other considerations, religious or, or otherwise, that they, they need to kind of address as they think about this. Oh, completely. So even still going on the um, that legal track, it, it really depends on country. Right. So in the UK, you, you can't mandate this because it's on the basis of human rights. So that could lead to claims of discrimination or constructive dismissal. And in most places, uh, even if you could mandate this, it's it shouldn't be your blanket policy because yes, there are going to be exemptions that you need to make for things like religious beliefs, it could also be for other medical reasons why a person should not or cannot receive this vaccine. And then in other places like like Oregon, you know, there are protections for employees who have philosophical objections to vaccines as well. So it's, it's a medical, it's a religious, it could be a philosophical objection, it could be a human rights issue as well. So let's talk a little bit about the management of this information. Um, clearly a hot button. So whether or not you require or strongly um, suggest vaccines as an employer, how are companies thinking about the management of that information? Because, I mean, clearly there's lots of concerns in terms of privacy when it comes to employee data as a whole. Anyway, I can imagine this particular piece of information is even more sensitive when it comes to privacy. How, um, I guess, how are companies starting to approach the management of that data? And then what are we recommending um, as an approach for that? As an approach to this, uh, think of the vaccinations as, as a part of an employee's personal medical record here. And so this is highly sensitive personal information and you have to treat it as such. So. This is something that echoes a lot of the themes that we've put forth around employee privacy that we've explored in our research around pandemic management. Um, so just as a high level thing to keep in mind, anytime you're collecting employees' personal information, including things about vaccinations, think about proportionality, fairness, transparency. These are key principles to, to follow in terms of how you're handling and, and treating this type of data and, 
how you're collecting it as well. So what this translates into in terms of action could be, uh, make sure you're only collecting the minimum amount of data that you need in order to trigger some kind of policy uh, as an organization. So this keeps it proportional to what you're using it for. It minimizes the amount that you have that you're collecting. So that's one thing, one action. A second action here would be to ensure that you're protecting this medical data appropriately, encrypt it, uh, create and enforce strict access policies around it as well, and also policies around how this might get shared, uh, deletion policies, also for getting rid of this data when you no longer need it. So this is going to help you with the, the fairness piece of this and the protection angle. And then for transparency, you will want to communicate very clearly with your employees about just how you're handling this information that you've collected, how long you're going to keep it for, who this or what this uh, information might be shared with and, and why. Do they even have to collect it or store it at all? I mean, what are the other kind of policies or things that would that would push a company to want to be or to need to collect this information? Because to your point, it feels like there's so it's so sensitive. There's so much you have to do to protect it and provide the transparency. I would assume many employers, many heads of HR are just thinking, I don't even want to go there because <laughs> it's so complex. Do they need the information for some key policies? They they might not. That's the thing. We we ran into this when we were looking at contact tracing as well within the workplace, where in the beginning, a lot of organizations were thinking, oh, this is something we have to do. We should do this. And then as they realized, I guess, the, I think the amount of effort that would have been involved with privacy, protecting the employee's data, some of them just opted not to or opted to really scale back their efforts in terms of how they would approach this. So I would imagine something similar might happen here with vaccines in the workplace. So, you know, all this discussion about managing, you know, the sort of vac whether or not employees have been vaccinated is sort of assuming that um, individuals have access to the vaccine, right? And so I think, Daniel, it'd be great to, to understand from you, like, are there what are the logistical challenges around the vaccine rollout and and sort of the, that rollout's impact on businesses today? Uh, sure. Uh, so there are uh, quite a few challenges, as you can imagine. Um, at the uh, beginning of the year, concerns mostly hovered around the vaccine supply chain, and that would include things like the manufacturing of the vaccine, or the transportation needed to you know, uh, disperse the vaccine, the cold storage for vaccines like Pfizer, to the uh, dispensing equipment, how you're gonna administer uh, the vaccine, and also the IT systems needed to support the vaccine rollout. Uh, another concern um, at that time was the distribution strategy. Who gets inoculated first? Uh, the healthcare workers, is it elderly? Is, is it the essential workers? And how about teachers? Etc. So there were a lot of concerns at that point earlier this year, but it seems we are past these two now. The good news is that the vaccine rollout is 
picking up velocity in pockets of the world, including the US, and, and that's a good thing. Now, while the supply chain and distribution are trending in the right way, two areas of concern now seem to be the vaccine sentiment and the, the emergence of variant strains of the virus. So when it comes to the vaccine sentiment, um, I think it's improving a bit, but in a recent poll by NPR, 30% of American adults said they would not get the vaccine. Uh, we saw a similar poll in November saying 60% of American adults would say they would get the vaccine. So I think when you compare those two data points, it's improved um, a bit. But still, there's a big percentage of adults, and not just in the U.S., but in other countries as well, that they're a bit skeptical when it comes to um, getting the vaccine. Now, the other area, the emergence of variant strains of the virus, um, like the UK um, variant, Brazil, South Africa, and, and California, these variants could impact the efficacy of the vaccines. Um, according to Dr. Fauci, vaccinating 70% to 85% of the population that's the goal. That's what's needed to reach herd immunity. And with that, that return to normalcy. So now at the pace we are at today with vaccinations, it will take another five months to, to get to that 75% of the population in the US. If the variants become dominant, the percentage of the population that must be simultaneously inoculated to attain herd immunity could increase by another 10 to 20%. And this would prolong the time to reach herd immunity. And that time we, and at that time, when you kind of move, um, push back the timeline a bit to get to herd immunity, we head right into the flu season, which begins in September. So, so now if you look at this through the lens of an employer, um, they have to keep a pulse on this macro perspective of, all the stuff that's going on, because they have to consider the vaccination of their employees, as well as those the employees come in contact with. And that would include customers, um, like partners, uh, people in logistics, food and beverage, and, and, and others. Um, so now I know we need to get through the first step, right? We, we, we all know that, get as many people vaccinated and as quickly as possible, but in a few months, we might see a need for booster shots um, because natural immunity after COVID-19 is essentially a variable and it depends on the, the viral uh, factors, uh, em environmental factors and the human factors. And these factors can affect the antibody levels which can make, um, which can affect uh, natural immunity. And, and that may essentially introduce another logistical challenge for employers. We had touched on this a little bit in terms of vaccine management or the platforms that are sort of housing this information. I mean, is that also a consideration or concern as part of this, the, you know, where is this information going and how is it being managed and, and by whom, you know, are there platforms that are dedicated to, to, to vaccine management or. So there are, of course, tech, tech platforms uh, backed by a lot of the larger enterprise software as a service vendors out there in the marketplace. And uh, what we noticed is that these, um, they were built quickly for a reason, 
and they're in constant states of um, iteration, and that's by design to react to the changing environment. So we've taken a scan of the market, and and by no means uh, was our research exhaustive. It wasn't evaluative. We don't know which one is better than which um, than the other, right? And um, and in addition, there are vaccine management platforms that are sprouting up every day. So here's what we found. It seems that many of the vaccine management solutions provide, number one, the ability to manage the process of aggregating and collecting, verifying, and processing individual and group employee health status. The second um, is supporting security standards to handle PHI. The third is uh, they come with integrations to employee HR systems and other enterprise communications platforms. And this is an ongoing thing because, of course, you want, if you are a business, you want the um, solution that you use to essentially integrate with their stack. You don't want to have to do any custom customized integrations, which is time consuming and could be expensive. And, and fourth, uh, they enable employers to have ownership of their own data. So you, um, you touched on privacy. And I think from the get-go, um, the companies that have been designing these vaccine management platforms have been really had privacy in mind. They knew how sensitive um, that this information was. So how they built their platforms which almost all of them are in the cloud, they're very modular so that enterprises can customize their unique business needs and workflows and, and essentially use APIs to integrate with their stacks. But also Heidi had pointed out that there's um, a lot of different reasons why it may be difficult for a business to, um, to have this information ranging from medical, religious, and philosophical reasons. But um, at the end of the day, I, a lot of the providers of the platforms have enabled their, cust um, their customers or the companies actually implementing these to be able to customize it to essentially have the privacy there, but also um, the security and confidentiality of the employee. So I, I think that each um, iteration of that and each deployment of that can be unique um, across uh, their, their large customer base. Daniel, do we have any idea about the uptake of these vaccine management systems? Like, you know, what percentage of, of companies are investing in them or how many, you know, what the current investment is in them? Or are they kind of like a great idea? Everyone's super interested. They popped out, up, popped up really quickly, as you mentioned, but nobody's actually buying them. Do we, do we know? we are probably in the low double digit millions of employees covered. So what we did was we talked to Salesforce, we talked to uh, Workday, ServiceNow, IBM, a uh, company called Safe For Me, Anaplan, Twilio, and we're able to get some good triangulation on the, the numbers out there in terms of how many companies are, with employee size are using these solutions. Um, we were definitely in the millions, and I, I, I believe we're in the low double-digit um, tens of millions um, at this point. 
But they said it's constantly iterating um, and they're getting a lot of interest on this. And every week is new with new challenges, but it's being rolled out and companies seem to be embracing it. Now, one thing to, to note is when you think about companies with these, these large cloud vendors, you know, Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, a lot of them are already in enterprises and they're already using their um, platforms. So it's pretty easy for them to inject this vaccine management, pun intended, <laughs> to, um, the, to, to their um, enterprise operations um, and really start rolling it out into their, uh, amongst their employees. So we talk a lot about, um, you know, returning to work and getting back into the office. The passports themselves, Heidi, I have to believe are an important component of business travel, getting back to, you know, quote unquote normal. I'm not sure what that actually is, but you talk a little bit about what the role of the vaccine passports are in business travel and how they might impact what that future of business travel looks like. I think for these um, vaccine passports and business travel, it's, they'll be there, especially it's going to be important for international travel, but it doesn't mean we necessarily get back to like a normal level of business travel. So even with the vaccine passports, you have to pay very close attention to what might be individual country entry requirements. Um, At the current time with the supply of vaccines that might also uh, hinder someone's ability to, to get a vaccine in time in order to go take a trip somewhere. And one other thing to consider going forward is this issue of, well, we've seen some of these issues of vaccine nationalism coming out, a hierarchy of vaccines that people have in their minds. And this might also spill over to travel entry requirements as well. One of the extreme examples that we've seen come out so far is with China requiring foreigners who want to enter the country to have proof that they have taken a Chinese-made vaccine. So that could really complicate things. you know, these country entry requirements aside, I think organizations, they have to consider what is their rationale that constitutes necessary business travel. Think about what might be those travel approval processes and procedures now, guidelines for health and safety, what kind of support that they might put in place to uh, support their business travelers who might still get sick during a trip, and any kind of procedures that they would put in place for a like a post-trip action um, going forward. So just a more concentrated, focused approach on business travel and how they approach it. Heidi and Daniel, is there one or two things that you want firms to take away from this discussion in developing their vaccine management plans? What are the kind of key takeaways from us and having had the opportunity to interview um, some of the companies on the front line of implementing these and, and designing these vaccine management solutions was, and it was pretty universal, uh, the transparency um, and the communication, I think are two vital pillars of a successful vaccine management strategy with both the internal and external stakeholders. And that seems to be the common theme that they've learned and they've kind of, um, you know, that's their philosophy designing these platforms to determine the success or failure of these endeavors. And I also think that we're, we're pinning a lot of hope 
on these vaccines as well. And I think in some people's minds, it's, well, you know, the workforce is going to be vaccinated. We go back to normal, whatever that is. But it's it's not that simple because the the office space, that is something that I think is is fundamentally going to be still different going forward and how we design the spaces, how we use those spaces, other measures that we still have in place for uh, health and safety here. And it's still important to maintain flexible work from home policies because you're, you'll still have some employees who may not be able to get vaccinated just yet. Uh, or maybe they're, they've got other health issues and they, they need those types of accommodations. And so considering long-term plans for remote work, flexible work, this is part of the future of work. One of the issues that really concerns me is the proportion of the workforce that are going to be uh, these COVID long haulers, people who still haven't fully recovered months later, and what this might mean if these health challenges end up as long-term chronic conditions. So whether these are your employees or maybe they're the family member of an employee that's going to need some help uh, caring for them, uh, people are going to uh, need a bit of flexibility. There's just still so many unknowns at this point. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Heidi. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.